listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. In this message series, we are discovering or rediscovering God's vision and mission for every single life, every single family, and with audacity and yet confidence based upon the Word of God for every single church. This is not man's vision or mission. It is God's vision and mission based upon His Word. And I'm excited today, and I hope you are too, because we have now come to the point where we will begin to explore and investigate and understand and comprehend and be transformed by the five core values that every single Christ follower should have. The five core values that every single Christ-following family should have. And the five core values that every single church should have. How can I say that? I believe we'll take it one message at a time. I believe that by the time we are done together in our very short time that's going to fly by, you will be convinced today that this particular core value, the first one that we're going to address, is going to help set you free. It's going to provide focus for your life, clarity for your family, focus for us as a group of families, a group of individuals, the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And in today's hurried, crazy, distracted world, this value of simplicity is one you're going to thank Almighty God for. Because we need, in this complex day and age in which we live, we need God to simplify our lives, don't we? We need God to simplify our families and to simplify what this thing called the church is all about. I'm afraid we've made it much too complex. Life is too crazy and too distracted and too busy, and too complicated. Well, you know why? Because we've lost sight of the simplicity that God has called each and every one of us to. We've lost sight, or maybe we never had it in the first place, but you're about to receive it. The simplicity that God has for every single Christ-following family and every single church. Turn with me to our Daddy's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen, Jesus called his heavenly father daddy. We can too. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In the first epistle that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he was helping the Corinthians be unified among each other. In 2 Corinthians, he's trying to get them to be unified around him, to support him in his ministry as an apostle in his ministry of laying that foundation as a church planter, as a teacher of teachers. And here we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, I wish you'd bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, because the Corinthians thought they were all that in a bag of Martin's potato chips. 
They thought they were something they weren't. They thought they had superior wisdom to the Apostle Paul. And therefore, while God was trying to teach them with his divine wisdom, the Corinthians had a hard time receiving it. Can you believe that? Can you believe that these Corinthians thought they were so wise and so adept and so all that, that they were not willing to receive from God through his messenger, the Apostle Paul? And that's why Paul has to say, I I wish you'd put up with a little bit of foolishness compared to your wisdom, if you wouldn't mind. I wish you'd bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. You know, it's it's appropriate for a church leader to have a God-given jealousy for his flock. Paul had it. I have it. Every elder, every deacon, every church leader, every pastor worth their salt should have it for their flock. And if a pastor or an elder or a deacon does not have it, if a church leader does not have a divine jealousy for the flock of which God has entrusted to them, something is wrong, something is askew, something is out of focus with that church leader. Paul says, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. And so we get the understanding right from the get-go that the purpose of a church leader, the purpose of the Apostle Paul as a leader that other church leaders should be following is to help the people in his flock help the sheep be pure in their devotion to God, in their walk with God. If you're listening by podcast and you're a pastor or a church leader, God has just given you through his word, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, a deposit that you should be modeling your whole life and ministry after as a leader. The purpose of a leader is to lead other people in pure affection and worship and devotion to Jesus Christ. And you might not be a church leader. You might be a sheep in the flock that the church leaders are trying to lead and shepherd. There's the bullseye for which you should be aiming. Purity. And the wedding analogy serves us well. On the wedding day, the idea is to give yourself entirely to the one to whom you were betrothed, the one to whom you are pledging all of yourself to love and honor and cherish and respect and submit to and all of that stuff that the two are becoming one. That's what happens to someone the moment they give their life to Jesus Christ. You become united with Jesus Christ and a walk of purity instead of pollution is the new course and the new journey that God has you and me, every single Christ follower on. And so Paul, rightly so, has jealousy, a spiritual jealousy, a divine jealousy, a jealousy given to him from God because the Corinthians were committing spiritual adultery. Their eyes were wandering from Jesus. Their hearts had strayed from the love of their lives. Their affections were given to another in idolatrous self-absorption. 
Can you imagine somebody doing that? Allowing their eyes to look at another, allowing their heart to be given to another, allowing their affections to go someplace else instead of the love of their lives, the one to whom they were betrothed, the one to whom they were promised. And I'm not speaking naturally of a husband and a wife. I'm speaking as the Bible is speaking. But every single Christ follower and the one to whom their lives were given, Jesus. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Verse 3, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. You put up with it readily enough. You tolerate it. You allow it to continue. You don't put your foot down and draw the line in the sand and say, no, as for me and my house, individually I was betrothed to Jesus Christ to be affectionate for him, to have my eyes look toward him, to have my heart given over to him, to have my hands given to him, my feet, my money. My house, my car, my job, my relationships, my education, everything about me is transparently, willingly given to Jesus Christ. Everything in my family betrothed to Jesus Christ, given to him happily, holy. And in the church, in the body of Christ, to which Paul is writing here to the Corinthians, ironically, he's writing to the body of believers in Corinth, and he has to remind this group of people who wouldn't even be gathering together if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. He has to remind them of why they're gathering in the first place. He has to remind them of the commonality that they have in Jesus Christ. He has to remind them of the commonality they have because of Jesus Christ. It's not Greek culture. It's not Sophia and superior wisdom. It's the culture of Jesus Christ, birthed by the death, burial, and resurrection of that Jesus Christ. The irony of ironies is that Paul with the divine jealousy, has to remind the very body of Christ. And do we understand what's being taught here? He has to remind them of the very purpose of their life and a core value that should be guiding every area of their lives individually, every single family, and that family, the body of Christ, as they were gathering this simple truth. In all of its simplicity, there it is in verse 3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's it in all its simplicity. 
in our lives, in our families, in the church, we will either blatantly or subtly, blatantly or subtly, overtly and obviously or incognito, we will either serve the Savior or the serpent. What you need in your life is the same thing you need in your family, same thing I need in my family. What we need in our families and in our individual lives is the same thing we need in the church to rediscover simplicity as a primary value in the life of every Christ follower. Simplicity. It's not rocket science. It's all about sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's all it's about. It is not about something else. It is that simple for you to be able to apply in your own life, for me to be able to apply in my life, for us to be able to apply in our families and in the church. It is all about the value of keeping it simple. Less is more. Simple is better. And Paul was afraid. That this church is gathering of Christ followers and Christ following families had been led astray the same way Eve, wife of Adam, was led astray. And we'll get there in a moment exactly how she was led astray because the way that Eve was led astray is the way that you will be led astray if you're not careful, if you're not diligent and vigilant, you too will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Your family will be led astray. You know any families today that are led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ? Do you know of any churches today that have been led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ? Simple is better, less is more. The simple thing that you need to base your life on is not a thing, he is a person. And his name is Jesus. Now, people will say, the Bible doesn't present Jesus as God. Well, here we have yet another example. In verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Here we have in the book of 2 Corinthians, probably written 20 to 25 years, only 20 to 25 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension. And what is Paul laying out? He's laying out this very clear irrefutable teaching that Jesus is to be worshipped. Jesus is to be honored. There are multiple ways from different angles, different books throughout the Bible, different sections that completely and continually point to the identity of Jesus Christ as distinct. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a God with a lowercase g. He's the living and the true God, the one about whom the Scriptures say in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and lived among us for a while. 
the biblical writers are making it intentional, purposeful, irrefutable that Jesus is to be worshipped and honored and revered. John teaches it in his gospel. We just looked at that briefly. The Apostle Paul is teaching it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, one of the foundational pillars in Christianity is the idea that Jesus is not just a sage. He's not just a wise person, not just a great teacher, not just a miracle worker. He is to be worshipped and adored, and in simplicity, your life and your family, my life and my family, and your church and mine is to be dedicated with a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. Now you better believe that today the deity of Jesus is under attack. It's been under attack from the beginning. It will continue to be under attack until the beginning of the end and then for all eternity. So what does he say here? If someone comes and proclaims in verse 4 another Jesus than the one we proclaim. Or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And you know, one of the dangers to biblical teaching today is this political correctness and this fear of upsetting anybody. Listen, if you are going to follow Jesus individually and be a disciple, If your family is going to follow Jesus as a Christ-following, Christ-honoring family, and if your church in this dark day and age in which we live is going to honor and glorify Jesus Christ, you have got to make your mind up about whether you're going to be afraid of people or revere and honor God. That's part of the problem that we're in today. We're afraid that if we preach this gospel and stay true to what the Scriptures teach, we're going to make people uncomfortable, get used to it. That's the life of a disciple. Now, let me say with absolute clarity and intentionality, we do not hate the people who disagree with us. You don't hate them. It is possible. In fact, it is probable It's not just possible, it is probable. In fact, it's guaranteed. If you are maturing in your walk with Jesus Christ, the more you mature in your walk with Jesus, the easier it will be for you to separate the sins of people from the people themselves. We can, and you must, we must love the sinner and hate the sin. That's what Jesus did. If Jesus hated the sinner, he would have never gone to the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave himself. And you and I must love the people in the world that we too will give ourselves. But we must hate what is evil. And what is evil is a diminishing of the identity of Jesus Christ, a illusion 
about the identity of Jesus Christ, that he's just a man, just a teacher, just a miracle worker, just, just only a prophet, does not go far enough. Otherwise, Paul would not be saying, I fear for you that as, as Eve was deceived by the cunning of the serpent, your thoughts may be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You know, the Mormons have another Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. And so it is not biblical for those who know the Bible to be tolerant toward that false teaching because the Bible does not teach that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. That would make Jesus, again, not God. And so that's a modern example of another Jesus. And we're reminded in the Scriptures not to put up with the teaching of another Jesus. When we stray from the book of books, the Bible, a Pandora's box is open to all kinds of teachings about Jesus that are based on men and mere human wisdom, which is not wisdom at all. And so you have to recognize in this politically correct world that if someone does not believe in the deity of Jesus, although they say that they believe in Jesus, if it is a different Jesus, if they believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer, it's not the same Jesus. And therefore, everything else they would believe about that Jesus is tainted, stained, impure, and polluted, and diluted, convoluted. You don't follow it. You don't tolerate it. Can you have love and should you have love in your hearts toward Mormons? Yes, you should. Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, God who became flesh, died for the Mormons. But personal saving faith is conditioned upon whether or not a Mormon crosses over from the Mormon view of Jesus to the biblical view of Jesus. That is important. Jehovah's Witnesses, likewise, do not believe that Jesus is God. They changed the translation in John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. And so they miss not only the immediate context, but also when you get to John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word became flesh, the whole idea, the whole thrust of what John is, is driving toward is that Jesus is not just a God, He is the God. And not only John's Gospel, but here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and all through the New Testament, and all through the Old Testament, we see the idea of the Son of God being God in the flesh. In the Old Testament, the day, looking forward to that day when God would take on flesh and the incarnation and then the New Testament seeing that realization. Let me go so far as to say this in regard to Islam. You say, oh boy, why talk about Islam? Why put yourself in the crosshairs? Because that is especially the hot button for today. If you talk to a Muslim, whether they're devout or whether they have an elementary understanding of Islam and don't yet know all of the teachings of Muhammad, don't yet know all of the teachings of Islam, 
they will tell you that they believe in Jesus and they believe that Jesus is coming back. They will tell you that. It's taught in the teachings of Islam. The only problem is that either they don't understand or they do understand and are not telling us the rest of the story because the Jesus of Islam, when he comes back, converts Jews and Christians to Islam. The problem with that is that it's a different Jesus, and it's a different spirit, and it's a different gospel. And when the definitions have changed, so changes everything else with it. It's not godly. It's not biblical. It's not good. It's not mature to be politically correct just because somebody is using the same names. It's the definitions behind the names that you have to look at today. Mormons don't believe in the same Jesus, and therefore it's not the same gospel. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the same Jesus, and therefore it's not the same gospel. And Muslims do not believe in the same Jesus, and therefore it is not the same gospel. And we are not to put up with it easily. Do we love Muslims? Yes, we do. The love of Christ must compel us. Do we love the teachings that are diluted and polluted and changed and twisted and reversed and set upside down? No, we don't. Because if we change the identity of Jesus and if we change the gospel, there is no hope for you. There is no hope for your family. There is no hope for the church. We're fooling ourselves, deluding ourselves, and wasting each other's time. More than that, as the Apostle Paul says, we are to be more pitied than all people on the face of the earth. Why? Because a Christ follower, a Christ-following family, a Christ-following church has everything in their life centered around this simple focus, this simple value of sincere and pure devotion to Jesus. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In simplicity, stripping away all of the distractions, all of the things that present themselves as being important but are not, when you boil it all down, one of the key values in your life one of the key values in your family, one of the key values in the body of Christ must be simplicity. We've tried complexity, haven't we? It's not working. We've tried living distracted lives, haven't we? Many of us would like to exchange it for a simplified life centered upon sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Well, I am here to say to you, through the Word of God, God is saying to you, the invitation is there for the taking. You can exchange a complex life, a distracting life, complex family life, distracting family life, a complex church life, distracting church life for a simple life that is centered upon sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And where does it all begin? But right 
between the left ear and the right ear and behind these two eyes of yours. Within that gray matter is something called the mind running on that hard drive of your brain and mine. Your thought life and my thought life is under direct assault. How do I know that? Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Your mind is central to worship of Jesus. As your mind goes, so will go your affections, your devotion, whether or not you are sincerely and purely devoting yourself to Jesus Christ. This is similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Advertisers know the secret to getting you to think differently because if they can get you to think differently, you will act differently. It's not possible to divorce our thought lives from our lives. Sincere and pure devotion to Christ is something that is a byproduct of what we think about Jesus. The identity of Jesus is absolutely central. What you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. Haven't I heard that somewhere before? Don't underestimate what you think about God, what you believe about God, because actually how you are living for God individually, how you're living in your family, how we live as a Christ-following group of individuals as a church is a reflection of what we really believe about God. A different Jesus, another Jesus, detrimental to the ability to, in a pure, sincere way, be devoted to the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Be aware of that. Be aware of pollutants, things that would cloud your understanding of the identity of Jesus. Every other world religion thinks that salvation comes by something you do that then qualifies you to get. To get what? To get forgiveness. Maybe, hopefully, prayerfully. But the thing that distinguishes our gospel, the good news, what makes it good news, from every other religion on the planet is that you and I don't have to do a doggone thing except accept what God has done through Jesus Christ. It's not what we do for God or what we try to do for God. It can't work our way into heaven, be a good enough person. Somebody has to have taken care of your sin and my sin on an individual basis 
It is by grace you've been saved through faith. It is by undeserved favor. The way you get saved, the way you have a right standing with God, the way you have an eternity with God in His very presence is simply in Christianity 101, what the Bible teaches. You believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.